Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing tonight? It is Wednesday night, and that means it is time for Friends and Fiction. It's the happiest night of the week around here in Booktown. Uh, And I am Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. (laughs) I am Patty Callahan Henry. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless endless stories to support independent bookstores. Tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. First up, we're going to be talking to Jillian Cantor about Beautiful Little Fools, her upcoming retelling of The Great Gatsby from the women's point of view. And then we're going to have a second half to the show in which we'll be talking to Jenny Judson and Daniel Mafood two high school friends who have written a debut novel called The Last Season, which is out now. And we have a really great surprise because surprises are our gig. But in the after show, another debut novelist, Stacy Willingham, who is a Charleston author who wrote A Flicker in the Dark. It just debuted on the New York Times list tonight. And it is a novel out just last week that already NV Alert has an HBO TV series deal, and she will join us in the after show. She's having a pretty good week, I would say, you know, like as good weeks yeah, go. I'm going yeah. to guess. I'll guess. <laughs> you know, it's always fascinating to us as authors ourselves to learn about unconventional stories and the story behind the story of the most buzzed about books out there. So we're excited to dive in with all four guests tonight, and we cannot wait for you to meet them. As you know, we continue to encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is to visit our own Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page where you can find Jillian, Jenny, and Danielle's books as well as Stacy's and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount. Of course, at bookshop.org, a portion of each sale through the Friends in Fiction shop goes to support independent bookstores and helps support the show. So if you enjoy watching, this is a great way to support our guests, independent bookstores, and the Friends and Fiction group all at the same time. And don't forget, our spring box is now available. So exciting! I know! (laughs) From our friends at Oxford Exchange, order now and you will receive... Christie's the wood, Christie's the wedding veil in March, and my homewreckers in May. Yes, it's going to be a real book. I swear. <laughs> we believe you. We believe you. I wrote a book. Yes, that'll be out May. <laughs> and a special friend, you'll get a friends, a friends in fiction notebook, complete with sticky flags for marking all your favorite pages. Plus, I think it is it, Christie. Is it coming with some other gift that I don't know about? <laughs> I think that's 
it. I think it's a sticky flag notebook. It's a yes. definitely a great sticky flag notebook. It's, it's awesome. all the gifts you need. Yeah. Yep. That and the books, Lord. Okay. And they're signed. First edition right. signed books. Right. So, all right. We're That's almost at the idea. end of our first month of the Friends in Fiction Reading Challenge, which our friend Anissa Armstrong has been sharing with you on the page. Each month of the year, there will be a different reading prompt. And we challenge you not only to complete all 12 months, but also to keep track of what you've read this year. One way to do that is with our beautiful reading journal designed by us in conjunction with independent bookstore, Oxford Exchange. It has this gorgeous Friends in Fiction blue linen cover and loads and loads of pages to record your thoughts on what you're reading. This month's prompt was debut novels, and next month is memoir or nonfiction. So jump online to buy the reading journal from Oxford Exchange so you can record all of it and interact with all our 60,000 pals on our Facebook page. And while you're online doing that, be sure to check out Christy's essay this week for Parade.com which is part of our Friends and Fiction monthly essay series for the magazine. Christy, can you tell us a bit about your A Room of Your Own column? <laughs> or not? <laughs> yes. Um, thank you so much, you guys. I'm going to just tell everyone. Oh. <laughs> Am I interrupting you? Y'all, I'm so sorry. My my internet's a little glitchy, so if I end up going out, but if I'm like a deer in headlights, that's why, because I can only hear about a third oh. of what you're saying. It's like the Verizon commercial, like the old one. Can you hear me now? As, so, yeah. sorry. Um, but so sorry, Patty. <laughs> but Kristen, I can hear you really well. It's just you, the other two. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but it's me. So. Um, but super briefly, um, my parade column for this week um, is about sort of a special gift that uh, my husband, Will, and, and, and baby Will, because he was in on it, I guess, um, gave me when I first started writing and how it ended up sort of giving me the permission that I needed to follow um, one of my dreams. So I hope y'all check it out. I love writing those. I know we all do. And it's a really fun partnership that we have. Absolutely. And we also want to take a moment to thank Gallery Books, a division of Simon & Schuster, who happen to be the publisher of both my books and Christie's for their continued support of friends and fiction. You know, they've been our, they've been our cheerleaders since day one, and it means so much. So thank you to Gallery Books. All right. Now, thank you. <laughs> so without further ado, let's dive in and welcome our first guest for this evening, because we have a lot to talk about tonight. A lot to talk about. Yep. All right. And that first guest is Jillian Cantor. She's the international best-selling author of 11 novels for teens and adults. Her novels have been translated into 13 languages and selected for Library Reads, Indie Next, and Amazon Best of the Month. Jillian received a BA in English from Penn State University and an MFA from the University of Arizona. She currently lives in Arizona with her husband and two sons. Jillian's new historical novel, which I absolutely loved, is for adults, and it's called Beautiful Little Fools, and it will be out on February 1st. 
God, that cover. It's gorgeous. Oh, isn't it gorgeous? I know. Sean, can you bring Jillian so on? Good. Is she backstage? Hi, Hi Jillian. Hi. 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 Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. We're so happy that you're here. We're excited to dig in and talk to you about this book. So thank you so much for being with us. Um, Jillian, to begin tonight, can you tell us a little bit about Beautiful Little Fools, which has just been getting rave reviews? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, Beautiful Little Fools is sort of a reimagining of the world of the great Gatsby, but from the women's points of view. And it takes place before, during and after the original novel. Um, but you get to see Daisy Buchanan's story and Jordan Baker's and Myrtle's story yeah. and Myrtle's sister, Catherine. And it's sort of framed also as a murder mystery. Um, you know, not to spoil the original Great Gatsby, but Jay Gatsby dies <laughs> in the Great Gatsby. <laughs> Spoiler alerts. What? Uh, and so <laughs> my novel sort of examines what if he didn't die the way that um, the original novel casts it. And instead, one of these women may have been responsible for his death. So it's like part murder mystery, part historical novel, giving the, these women a voice and part reimagining of a classic. I love it's it. I know it's so to take these classic stories and do reimaginings, just take to take it out of the box it was in mm -hmm. is so fascinating to me. I want you to start off by telling us a little bit about the title, Beautiful Little Fools, and where it came from. So in the original novel, um, there's a line, which has always been one of my favorite lines. I'm a huge fan of The Great Gatsby, I should I should say, first of all. And I have read it, you know, probably like once a year since I was in high wow. school when I first read it. Um, but one of my favorite lines is when Daisy is talking to her cousin, Nick, who Nick narrates the original novel. And she's talking about when she had a baby and she found out the baby was a girl and she really wanted the baby to be a boy. And she said, well, you know, when she found out the baby was a girl, she said, well, I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world. A beautiful little fool. So that's always stuck with me. I've always felt that Daisy didn't really believe that. <laughs> and yeah. so that's sort of what I set out to explore in my reimagining. Oh, I love that. And you mentioned that it's a story primarily told from the perspective of the women. Yes. And I love this line from Kirkus Review. It says, this Gatsby retelling reveals more about the women in the story by casting them as humans, not decorative baubles. Why was that so important to you to give them their due? And in doing so, essentially take what we thought we knew about The Great Gatsby and kind of flipping it over. You know, I think everything that I write, I'm sort of always interested in the the uh, feminist perspective of it. And this was no different. And in the original Great Gatsby, the women are so central to the plot. Everything, you know, revolves around them. It's like the affairs and, you know, all the drama and the love story and the murder. And it's all about the women, but the women barely speak in the original. And when they do, it's just sort of these like short little lines um, that barely give us any insight to what they must be thinking. So I've always wondered you know, what their story would be if they could retell this plot from their point of view. Fascinating. I love that. It's so well done, too. Um, and this isn't the first time that you've rewritten a story that we all love, a story that was previously set in stone. 
In Half-Life, you imagine what would have happened if Marie Curie made a different choice. And in Margot, which received a lot of buzz, you wrote about a world in which Anne Frank's older sister, Margot, survived and came to America. So what draws you to retelling these really classic stories in brand new ways? That's a good question. And people ask me that a lot. And I don't know that I have the answer to it. I think, you know, I'm always... I have these questions in my head, as, you know, as I'm reading or as I'm thinking about history, and I sort of write to explore them for myself, and then the story emerges from that. Um, you know, the great Gatsby, I've always wanted to to tell Daisy's story. That's always been in the back of my head. The copyright for the original, um, it just came into the public domain a year ago. So, yeah. you know, that wasn't something that would have been possible before. Even though I, I thought about it, I don't think I could have done it the way I wanted to if the book yeah. wasn't in the public domain. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of like mm-hmm. right place, right time. But I think I always had that that like what if in my head. And that's what drives me to write everything. Fascinating. So is it intimidating? I mean, do you ever think like, oh my goodness, what if readers don't respond to this? Or um, have you ever had an instance where readers are like, oh my gosh, that was the way it was supposed to be or anything like that? I'm in that very, that stage of a book where you're like, oh my gosh, I've written this thing and are people going to like it? So that's on my mind. Yeah. No, yeah. That's to both of those things. I, I mean, Beautiful Little Fools, I actually wrote like in the very beginning of the pandemic. I had sold it to my editor on 50 pages. Like it was like February 28th, 2020. And I think I said I was going to turn it in by August 1st, having no idea what was coming. You know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that like my kids were about to be home and then we were going to leave the house. And, so all this stuff. And so I really felt like in that early part of the pandemic, I had to write this book because I had a deadline and it really saved me in a lot of ways, just diving into these women's stories. And that's all I was focusing on for for a few months. So I didn't take the time to be intimidated by it. Like I didn't think outside the story, you know, once like the book was done and I realized people were going to read it, I definitely did get intimidated, but it was too late at that point. I had already read <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Um, but you know, like I didn't, I just had pure joy when I was writing it and it was sort of like the only thing holding me together for those few months. And so I reflect on that really positively. It was not intimidated at all. Uh, You know, in the time since definitely I'm nervous about the reaction. Um, that kind of always happens to me. And it happens to me too. If I write about like a real person, a real historical figure, which I've done a few times when I'm really into the story and really invested in it, I don't think about it. And then suddenly I think, oh, you know, people are going to read this yeah. and how are they going to react? And, and I've gotten, you know, Beautiful Little Fools isn't out yet. So I've just seen some early reviews, which have been pretty positive. Um, and for my other books, you know, I've seen both where people have reached out and yeah. been like, you told the story perfectly, or people have been like, I hate the way you did this. So, yeah. you know, I think there's always going to be people who love what you do and don't love what you do. And we all have different tastes and I get that too. So you know, I just like when I'm writing, I guess the only thing I can focus on is my writing. Yes. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like theoretically, you know, but yeah. that's the only thing in my control, right? Yeah. yeah. I have that, that the boo bird sitting on my shoulder saying, you suck, you suck. Oh, no. <laughs> you oh, can't do that. that and you can't say that. And you can't. Yeah, you yes. can't do that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, with the exception of Half-Life, Jillian, most of your adult fiction 
seems like over the last decade has been set during or just after World War II, often <laughs> dealing with Europe or European culture. Was it a challenge for you this time around to take on really such an iconic American story set during a completely different time period? Yeah, I mean, it would. It, well, I had written Half-Life just before this. And so that took place in like the late 1800s, early 1900s um, in Poland and in France. And so that felt more challenging than doing the Roaring Twenties. Um, and also, I had this new perspective for the Roaring Twenties, I think, writing this book in a pandemic that I never had before. I, I, I knew why the Roaring Twenties existed. It just didn't like connect with me emotionally until I was living through my, my own pandemic. Um, so actually, it was really fun to do it and, and to go to that time and, and to, to be in this time of like revelry, post-World War One, post-flu pandemic. Um, they were, you know, having parties and drinking and wearing amazing clothes. And so it was fun to put myself in that world versus like the 2020 world or even the World War II world where, you know, there a lot of it was depressing. Um this felt like the place where I needed to be at that time. And so did you say to yourself, okay, uh, I'm talking about these women who are, you know, such a huge part of, of this iconic novel. Did you say to yourself, okay, Jordan has a very complicated emotional storyline um, as a lesbian coming to terms with owning her own identity and Myrtle Wilson's sister, Catherine. I mean, did you like say to yourself this, this, and this, or did those, uh, did that just come to you as uh, during the process? So I actually like people always ask, you know, if you're a pantser or a plotter, right. And I'm 100% a pantser, except that I was a plotter for this book. <laughs> so, so this was like my wow. one exception. I actually outlined the whole book before I started. And I think I did it because I felt I had to to, you know, to work around the original to to fit in all the lines and the scenes and the timeline and have it fit with the original. So mm -hmm. I decided that I had to outline it. So I actually had like chapter by chapter outlined and I knew everything about the characters and the story before I started, which has not happened to me before to me before. And I don't think will ever happen to me after this either. Um, so I did know all of it. I, you know, I wrote my first draft. The, the final book is actually, as I outlined it with one exception, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but the last chapter did not exist in my outline. And when my editor read the book, she was like, you're missing the last chapter. And I think I argued with her because I was like, no, no, I did an outline and this is where it ends in my outline. And then uh, obviously I realized she was right. So <laughs> I had to add a last chapter. Um, but I did. I don't know. I don't know how I was able to figure it out beforehand, but I did figure it out beforehand. So I knew going in who these women were and what they were going to do. And um, yeah. I think it's fascinating that each book calls for a different way of writing it. So you can yeah. say, I'm a pantser. Yeah. Or you can say, mm -hmm. I'm a big outliner. But then you sit down to write this story, which is not the same as the story. Yeah. That is finished and it calls for a completely different process. And you're like, I just figured it out. And now you're making me do it in a whole new way. You know? yes. Yeah. 
I couldn't figure out how to write the story without figuring it out beforehand um, yeah. and, and like make it fit with the original the way that I wanted to. And so it was just, it was like such a nice process to write it because I would wake up in the morning and I would know where the book was going next. And that doesn't normally happen to me. Normally it's like three cups of coffee and I'm like struggling <laughs> to figure out where my character is going next. And with this book, I was like, oh, I have an outline. This is so helpful. <laughs> do you think you'll outline again? Do you think you'll do it again? Uh, I mean, you know, I did it with what I'm working on now. <laughs> like I, okay. I, I knew that I should, but I was like, I just can't. I just ah. it doesn't feel right. So, oh, it's it was much harder to get that first draft. I have to say. So your debut novel came out in 2009. Am I right? Mm -hmm. 2009. Yes, that's right. Okay, so like all four of us, your books have grown and changed as you found your footing or maybe just in another subject that you're interested in. How do you think you have changed as an author and a person over the course of this career since 2009? And what do you see coming up? I mean, I'm definitely more jaded than I was. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Yes. <laughs> Everything was like shiny in the beginning and happy. And so, you know, I'm, I'm more jaded about it. Um, but I think also I've gotten the confidence to explore what I want to explore, even if maybe it feels like what I shouldn't be exploring. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't want to write the same book over and over again. You know, I want to write yeah. what calls to me and what I'm interested in. And so I feel like I've got gotten the confidence to do that and kind of, like branch out a little bit as I've written more. Um, yeah, but that, that's a really good question. And how do I see it? You know, I, I, hopefully I can continue to do that. Actually, my my one New Year's resolution for 2022 is to follow my gut. And so I'm like trying oh, to I do like that, that more and not doubt myself. It's more difficult than you would think. I mean, we're what, two weeks into the year and I'm already, <laughs> I'm already yeah. doubting. But, you know, hopefully I can continue to do that. And end of my writing too. It's not just following our gut. It's mm -hmm. like, is that really what my gut's saying? I'll follow <laughs> you if that's what you're saying, but I'm not sure that's what you're saying. I'll follow yeah. you. I'm not positive. <laughs> like, what are you saying? Like, yeah. yes. The doubt, man, the self-doubt. Wow, it's just a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Jillian, I I'm curious. Um, just with writing this book and, and writing your other books, I know we talked a little bit about that, like, you know, whether it was intimidating or whether you, um, yeah. you know, you worry about those kind of things, but it, it, is it also a thought in your mind? Like, are, are you worrying about or thinking about honoring the legacy of the book or honoring the legacy of the people? Like not just yeah. getting it right for the audience, but actually getting it right for, you know, the original artist or the original actual person who, who lived. Is that something going through your head? Yeah, de definitely. I mean, I would say more so when I'm writing about real people okay. than when I'm writing about fictional people. Um, but definitely, you know, Half-Life was about Marie Curie and I wrote a novel, um, The Hours Count, that's about Ethel Rosenberg. And so I did, you know, I feel like those novels, I felt extremely intimidated. I was writing. I, I know you guys asked me that earlier. And I felt yeah. this like enormous pressure to get everything right and yeah. to, you know, honor these real people correctly. I think Beautiful Little Fools, since the characters were fictional to begin with, I, yeah. I didn't feel that pressure as much, but I did feel the pressure to stay true to the book. Um, and, 
you know, Beautiful Little Fools also the original is narrated by Nick, who is Daisy's cousin. He's like this outsider to this world. So I felt like I could justify a lot of my changes or, you know, my shifts as well. Daisy's seeing it differently than Nick. So, so this is an okay change. Um, you know, whereas when you're looking at a real person, you don't really get that leeway. Yeah. So I do feel that. And every time I write about a real person, I'm like, I'm never writing about a real person again. I know. I know. I've done it. (laughs) And then I always end up coming back to it. So like now I'm in that phase where I'm like, should I do it? Should I not do it? What does your gut say, Gillian? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. My gut does not have an answer for that one yet. Yeah, see? <laughs> it's it's an interesting time, too, just in our own, you know, in our history to take yeah. on a retelling from a women's point of view. I mean, this is, it's 100 years almost at, right after the original. But, like, this is the time. This is the time that, you know, women are taking their voices back. And, mm-hmm. and you're essentially doing this in, in this American classic. Yeah, no, it did. It feels always feels strangely relevant when I'm writing about these like historical women that need to find their voice and realizing that so much of it still applies today. Yeah, and I think that's yes. true in all my books, not not just this book. Uh, yeah. It's like strangely and sadly relevant in a lot of ways. Yes, yes. My one uh, Myrtle's sister, Catherine, who's one of the main characters in my book, she's in the original Great Gatsby just briefly. There's like two yep. sentences about her, but she's one of the main characters and she's a suffragette. So she's like fighting for women to have the right to vote, for women to have rights. And it's like, here we are a hundred years later and we're still fighting for women to have so many rights. So Catherine was extremely relatable to me yes. <laughs> in a sad way, <laughs> but- yeah, no, it's it's so true. Well, Jillian, one of the one of the things we love to ask our guests when they come on the show is for a writing tip. And it's you know, it was so interesting for us too to hear your perspective. And you already gave us a little bit talking mm-hmm. about plotting and outlining and all of that. Um, is there another tip you can share with us and our viewers about um maybe your advice for writing a novel like the ones you write? I think the best advice that I ever received, which was from um, one of my earliest writing professors in college, was just the very simple butt in chair. Yeah. And so, you know, it's so obvious, but you just really have to sit yeah. down and force yourself to put the words on the page, or, you know, I do, and um, realize that bad words can be revised, but yeah. no words can't be revised. And there's always, you know, a reason why you couldn't be writing, or you could be definitely doing something easier. I think. Um, but you just have to sit there and you have to do it. Um, and otherwise the words don't happen. So I think that, and then also just like reading widely in the genre that you're writing, you know, or other, like finding the books you love, finding the areas you love and then reading a lot. That's, that's great advice. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and we do have a few live questions out there from viewers that we would love to ask you before you, before we do quickly, I just wanted to remind everyone out there that for our reading challenge, which we've been talking about with our reading journal, one of the prompts this fall is to read a retelling of a classic. So if you pick up Jillian's book now, you'll be all set for that challenge this fall. So just a little oh, it's r- in reminder May. of is that. It May? Oh, it's oh, is it? I thought it was no, May. no, maybe it's fall. Uh, you think I would it's have sometime. them memorized? It's sometime in 2022. Let's it's see. <laughs> um, it's September. A retelling of a, a retelling okay, of great. a myth or a classic. That's perfect. Yeah. That's so this perfect. this would be just a great a great fit for that. Christy, did you want to grab a live question for Jillian? Yes. Um, So Carrie Sutterman has a great question. She said, did you listen to music from the 1920s while you were writing? That's a great question. 
Um, so I actually didn't while I was writing, but um, I did just make a playlist for mm. for, uh, for um, like it was a piece that somebody asked me to do. And while I was doing it, I was thinking I should have been listening to this music while I was writing, Hilarious. but I didn't do it. I actually I love to write in complete silence, which my family absolutely loves, as you can imagine. But I don't normally listen to music while I'm writing. Like I'll, I'll listen to it when I'm not writing later that night to sort of like get inspired or I'll watch a movie from that era. But I just, I like to have that complete silence when I'm writing so I can hear my characters talking in my head. Ooh, um, but I, I do that. like the music is really fun from that era. And I like the playlist that I made. I actually, I was like listening to it yesterday. <laughs> You'll have to post it on our Facebook page oh, because no. oh, yeah, yeah, I can you that. said that out loud, they're going to want to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, the music is really fun. Um, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, let's see um sharon person says this is such a great time period to center to center a story on what is next for you well that's a very good question and i can't really share too much about it because it's not set in stone but it is another um let's say vaguely sort of like another feminist reimagining of a classic awesome. Oh, I love Ooh. it. We're here for that. We're yeah, here for it. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. And Jillian, we have another question from a viewer. Um, it's also from Sharon Carlson person. I guess she's, she's a lot of questions tonight. This is great, Sharon. Thank you. Um, we, <laughs> she was wondering if any of the storylines or characters surprised you with how they turned out. Um, well, since I outlined, I don't, <laughs> they didn't surprise me too much. Um, but I do, you know, I don't want to give away any plot points. Like, I, I do think that I, I, I would say Jordan surprised me a little bit when I was figuring out her character. Oh, okay. um, like, I thought oh, I knew nice. her from the original, but then she sort of spoke to me in a different way when I, I did her story. Like that. Yeah. Like when they step out of line she and felt, don't behave. She what, what felt that, so real to me on the page. I'm sorry. I was just saying she felt so real to me on the page. I think you did such a fabulous job with her character. Um, and as I was reading it, I was like, wow, like this is this whole backstory that is so perfectly in keeping with her character in the original book. And it was like, you could see all these little hints and details yeah. from the original book that that led to her new storylines. It was really great. Mm -hmm. cool. Thank you. Yeah, she was really fun to write. I think she was my favorite to write too. I'm probably not supposed to pick favorites, but you know. Uh, <laughs> you can't no, help I, it. I, she was such it. It, exactly and she was such a great character. Well you know as um as a big fan of the Great Gatsby myself, I I, I loved this story. Um you you never know when you go into something that's a retelling whether it's gonna affect yeah. the way you feel about the original. Um, but this one I thought was done in a way that really honored the characters, stayed very true to the original storyline, but just gave us a completely different perspective, which in and of itself was, I think, a really fascinating literary trick to pull off. So, um, so Jillian, congratulations on a great book. Yeah, we're so Thank excited you. that um, that the world's going to get to read it. Um, what, in just about a week and a half, right on February 1st? Yeah, but, February 1st. Right, absolutely. But of course, you can all go pre-order it today from bookshop.org or wherever you buy your books. So thank you so much, Jillian, for being with us tonight. Thanks, thank Jillian. you guys so much for having thank me. Thank you. This was such a fun conversation. It was thank fun. Us. Thank you.
Have a great night. Okay, y'all. Now the show is not even close to over. No. Let's welcome Jenny Judson and Daniel Mafood. Danielle and Jenny met in high school, and we can't wait to talk to them about this debut, a co-written book called The Last Season. The pair bonded over a mutual love of historical fiction and romance novels, and they would even write short excerpts from imaginary novels that featured themselves and their classmates as characters caught up in tales <laughs> of adventure and romance. It's yeah, funny. they were a lot more ambitious in high school than my girlfriends and I were. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we were caught up in, I don't know, trying to figure out which monkey we would be married to. <laughs> Okay, I just dated myself. Now, <laughs> Christy was trying to figure out which new kid on the block she was going to get married to. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Chris, <laughs> Jenny and Danielle teamed up to write the last season, hmm. which was released in October. And the novel is inspired both by the Victorian period and the financial crisis of 2008. Let me just take this moment to note that I know which new kid in the block I was going to be married to. I'm, I'm not ruling you? it out as an option, but yeah. So um, Booklist has said that Judson and Mafood immerse readers in British high society, blending Regency romance with Dickensian themes of reinvention, unrequited love, and unexpected benevolence. And before we bring them on, we have to tell you that Christy has admitted that it was either going to be Jonathan Jackson or Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So what? I guess right. <laughs> she was admitting it. She's typing Maybe's... because her thing is so delayed. She's who's, not. Who's it. Jonathan Jackson? Joshua Jackson? No, Jonathan. Who's, Jonathan? I don't even know who Jonathan Jackson is. Mm -hmm. I'm too old to know either. Okay. Let's bring Jenny and Danielle on. <laughs> Hi, y'all. Hi, ladies. So good to see you. <laughs> we, Thanks we for having us. You know, we promised we weren't going to talk about Barbies, but instead we talked about boy bands. So we essentially. Yeah, or who we all were going to marry. <laughs> we you guys were writing novels. We all, yeah. <laughs> We are so glad you're here. We are. We here at Friends in Fiction have a monthly reading challenge. You've heard us talking about it earlier in the show. And this month was debuts. So we love having you on here to talk about your debut that came out on October 17th. So, Danielle, you. could you get us started telling us a little bit about what the last season is about in a, in a nutshell before we dive deeper? Sure, absolutely. So um, the last season is historical fiction. It's set in Victorian England, and it follows the story of a, a, a young boy who arrives at a, at a manor house and is working as a stable boy, and a, a young girl who is the, the daughter of the Viscount on the manor. And it really follows them through sort of their, their period in life and the changes that happen through adolescence and reconnects them later. It's uh, centered around the financial crisis of 2000. Uh, it's centered around the financial crisis of 1873, which is based on the financial crisis of, of 2008. And so we really enjoyed it. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's that traditional Victorian story. Um, we enjoyed writing it. And um, we hope readers enjoy uh, reading it as much as we enjoyed writing it. Do you have anything to add, Miss Jenny? 
Oh, gosh, what to add? You know, I mean, it's got these financial vicissitudes, right? Like it's rising and falling fortunes, but at the very core, it's it's a love story. So I guess I would just add that. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, ladies, we talk so much about friendship here on this show, especially among readers and writers and how it influences our lives and our work. So tell us a little bit about this promise you made in high school. I think eventually one of you went to Yale and the other to Harvard, and yet you kept this high school pact, which is incredible. So can you tell us a little bit about this pact and then what inspired you to finally get back to it and keep it? Um, so I'll start. So okay. we, you guys did a great job of describing sort of how we came to this pact, but um, Jenny and I um, went to high school together and we were in a specific class and it was a human physiology class, which sounds crazy, but we did a lot of like taking a blood pressure and dissecting random animal parts. It was very <laughs> weird and we all thought we would be doctors, but not really. And so there might've been a period of time when we got a little bored in class and I will remember very distinctly, instead of passing me a note, Jenny literally wrote two pages and featured the guy I had a crush on at the time as the hero. And he was, there was a beach, there was a horse, there was me as the heroine. It was amazing. And that little piece of paper made its way around school to other, to boys, et cetera. No! It was, you know, pre-social media. It was crazy. Um, oh so it was very gosh. embarrassing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But we took it in stride. And so for us, it was sort of the beginning of this joke that we had for years, which would be that, you know, you know, maybe we'd write a novel one day and actually Jenny, you know, dedicated, um, Jenny, do you want to talk about the high school of the yearbook? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So we, we talked about this for a long time, but it was, it was as a joke and it was, um, Sort of silly, except in the high school yearbook, I wrote in, you know how you used to write entries to your friends and yeah. everything was kind of coded language and all that. <laughs> yeah. Danielle, I wrote, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate the first trashy novel to you. And that was that was our, my note to her in the yearbook. Um, but as time went on, we, we kind of kept doing this. And I would I would write these excerpts for her for her birthday as we went through college. And God, I love this. Um, yeah. And uh, and and, and I got married very late in life, by the way. So I got married a little bit later. So I was, you know, well into my 30s. And she's showing up at my birthday party with, a, uh, you know, a, like a romance novel written about me and a potential random student <laughs> oh might, might be happening awesome. in the future. <laughs> so. But one day it was we were in I, we were in our thirties. We went to um, we went to see the Young Victoria, okay. which was a movie with Emily Blunt. I don't know yeah, if Henry had seen it. It was a rainy day. We were living in New York. We went to this theater, and um, we both loved the film. We were coming out. It was, there was this escalator. I sort of still remember it. We're on the escalator going up into the gray day, and Danielle turns <laughs> to me and she's like, "We are writing that book now." Like we're right today, yes. we're starting. Um, and we walked to Barnes and Nobles and like checked out what was on the shelves and didn't actually see a ton of historical fiction set in the Victorian era, which Ooh. we were very interested in. So we thought, well, let's let's go there. Let's we love that era. And we're not seeing a ton set at that time. Um, so let's go for it. I love it. 
So prior to that, was it ever a crystallized idea that you really would write a book one day? Or was it just kind of something you were joking around about that you had fun back and forth about? Like, did either of you ever think this is legitimately something I'm going to do with my life? Um, so no, um, we both have like full-time jobs. I, you know, actually I was thinking about this earlier. I had two interviews today. I'm applying to another job within my company. <laughs> I was like, my third interview is going to be tonight. <laughs> so, it's totally unrelated. Um, so yes, no, we have, this was never part of my plan for sure. I'm in financial wow. services. I just, this is, this was always for fun for, for me. And, and I know, I mean, for Jenny too, like this is always just kind of something on the side that we did for fun. And, you know, I think we have, well, we have very different careers. So I'm, I'm an English teacher. And um, I think like many English teachers, you know, I have dreams of writing. I love reading. I love, you know, and I had this idea that I would write a book. This wasn't the one I thought I would write. Um, awesome. That was more of a sort of, a, it was just for fun. And actually, I think one, one of the reasons we were able to do it and, to kind of see it to completion is that we we did see it as a fun project, um, yeah. but we never took ourselves so seriously that we like got in our own way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I would say that, like for me, you know, when when I would be sitting down to write, and I would write, and absolutely anywhere. I mean, it took us over 10 years to get here, right? So for this first yeah. book, from when we started, and, you know, if you know the Young Victoria, it came out, I think, in 2009, which was a really long time ago. Um, and so we just, you know, we, you know, I would write everywhere. I would be on a business trip, and I just pop up in my laptop, sit with my glass of wine, and start writing. I'd be going on a run or a walk and think of an idea and, you know, pop up in my phone and just say, this is, you know, this is the idea, and go back later and, you know, write it down. So it, it was just something that we did along the way that's turned into, you know, a really great project to share together as friends um, over all this time. And that part of the wonderful thing about it too is that all of our friends from high school have like shared in this story. And Jenny didn't even okay. remember that she dedicated but oh, she said so she didn't remember it. She was like looking <laughs> through the yearbook. We were starting our Instagram page. We're like, let's get some pictures going on. And so we started like asking everybody for stuff and like pictures. And then she's like, let me look at the yearbook. And she found the dedication. Um, so awesome. yeah, very. One of the really fun parts of it is we've connected with a lot of our friends when in doing the social media, which neither of us are, are particularly good at social media. So we've had a huge learning curve. That <laughs> all works. So, but we did text our friends and say, you know, do you have any pictures from us in high school? And, you know, we got this sort of waterfall of, of pictures mm -hmm. and they're of course not digital. They're pictures of pictures. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. You know, and they're kind of coming in, to our text messages like this picture and that picture it's it's been a great walk down memory lane yeah, and embarrassing that's amazing how am i supposed to that ask this so fun no it's well, no it's, it's, the four of us work really tightly delete <laughs> go ahead christy sorry you guys um <laughs> it was just like we all work so tightly together and we know the dedication, respect, and love it takes and patience on nights like tonight. <laughs> yes. guys. Um, I jump and in and ask you someone else's question. Authors <laughs> and you don't live close by each other. So how did you write in one cohesive voice to 
fight all of that? Can you tell us? I'm always so interested in like the nuts and bolts of co-writing. Mm -hmm. Like, what did this look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. We so Danielle, we do you want to start? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let no, you. Either way, I don't care. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so I'll start, and Danielle, we we would come together and we. Plan out the we'd kind of set the the nuts and bolts of the the plot and talk about it and then go give ourselves assignments and go off and do our assignments okay. and then we'd come back together and we would actually read our sections aloud to each other and I think doing that allowed us to smooth out differences in our voice um, because we do have different writing styles but I think it started to kind of come together. Um, Along the way, I mean, I feel like we learned a lot from each other as writers, which was that was fun, too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would I would say that we learned a ton from each other and and that, you know, sort of with, with respect to our styles, Jenny's focus was often on sort of the, the beautiful atmospherics and sort of the great descriptions. Um, and so in the novel, all, a lot of that is Jenny, but I focused on driving the plot forward and, and the dialogue. And so I think that that helped us in a way kind of bring each other to learn um, about how to write together. Although I think Jenny might've known how to write more than me because she is an English teacher. So she, yeah. <laughs> she's grading papers about writing, I'm not. But I will say that we were lucky because in the beginning, we originally conceived of the book as a first person narrative from three perspectives. So that gave oh. us a nice clean set of characters to write, right? So I had, you know, Miss Fairfax, uh, Jenny had, Cassandra and we split Crispin and so it, it worked well um, but then of course we switched it all around in the most massive rewrite ever <laughs> to turn it into the third person so that was pretty rough but you know it worked out well. Oh that's so interesting because a lot of times in co-written books you don't know who wrote what parts and you're you're telling us what parts you wrote that's amazing. I love it inside yeah. baseball. <laughs> yeah I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I have to know, did it draw you closer as friends or are you like, I'm never doing this again? Yeah. Great question. It, it, did, question. Actually, it did draw us closer. Um, okay. We have a, a number of people have asked, like, did you have any um, like creative, you know, tussles and, and stuff? And we really didn't. Uh, um, awesome. I think we didn't bring a ton of, ego to it i guess and so often it, it, it i don't think we got our backs up against things you know or about about yeah. things um like sometimes danielle would be like you know what this sentence is too long like i don't get what's going on here and it's true right sometimes it's <laughs> just you know you, you gotta get your character from point a to point b and you don't need to know every move that they took across yeah. the carpet. Yeah, or Jenny would use a really big word and I'd be like, I'm not, I have to look that up. So I'm not sure what this means. <laughs> and do you think our readers one day will even understand what this word is? So like, let's think of me as the lowest common denominator of the reader here. So, um, but oh, yeah, but so, yes. So we didn't, and, and to be honest, like I was just thinking, you know, um, we you know, listened earlier to Jillian Cantor and I was, I was just, Jenny and I were texting and I was thinking like, you know, this is just so fun. Like, it's so fun that we get the chance to have this experience together. It's so fun that we get to go on, like, book signings to the places that we love and see friends that we love and have them visit us in the bookstore. And, you know, it's just it's just a lot of fun. 
That's awesome. It is more fun when you get to do that with a friend, isn't it? Like we've all realized that too, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, Miss MKA, so go for it. Well, I, I just kind of want to ask um, Jenny, if did you ever grade Danielle's work? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like needs more needs more work or. Um, <laughs> Needs bigger words. Red pencil. I have not. I did not do that. I did not grade. grade Wait, did, Jenny, you haven't done it, or you haven't shared it with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, their friendship was fine until Kristen. Everything was great. Oh until my gosh, Kristen. we're never going to survive this show. <laughs> <laughs> fine until yeah, Kristen. We try to be right. We try to dynamite people's relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Blow it up. Here's the true test. Yeah. <laughs> You really think it was okay? We're going to show you. <laughs> yeah, the, the friends in Friends and Fiction is an ironic friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, just, I think that the biggest um, <laughs> issue, one of the biggest issues, so there are two things that came, came up. One, there was a scene that Danielle wrote that I still to this day think was like the best, it, you know, it's, it's on the cutting room floor, but I loved it. Whoa. And um, our editor said, "Doesn't it's, it's not it doesn't belong here in this story." And I had a little conniption fit about it. Oh. Like, no, you know. So, but it was a scene yeah. that Danielle wrote, um, and I still really think that that scene was it's, was amazing. It's too bad, but I would say that, like, I think um, possibly because Jenny is an English teacher, and no, she didn't, you know, mark up my stuff with red pen. <laughs> However, you know, I think I just for me, the whole thing has been like, you know what, if the editor doesn't like it, why are we going to do it? Let's just throw it on the floor. Yeah. I'm much more willing to say, I don't care. Let's just move on. And and I think Jenny, like, you know, rightly so, you know, like gets more sort of involved in the scenes and passionate about the scenes. For me, it's like about getting us to a conclusion and Jenny and I joke about this all the time. It's like, I'm the project manager <laughs> of the project. <laughs> it gets done because I get it done. I mean, I'm like, get this done. And so that's, that helped, I think, get us. Well, no, I actually, I mean, it took 10 years, so I'm not sure how much it helped. No, it helped. Get it done. It helped. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Okay. So you have been quoted as saying, and I don't know which of you said this, but one of you said it that you draw inspiration from different authors, classic authors, such as Jane Austen and Anthony Trollope, as well as, is it Trollope or is it Trollope, Jenny? Trollope. Trollope. Okay. I had to ask. I mean, I know who he is, but I just, you know, I, I don't drop that name into casual conversation that often. <laughs> now you can. Now yeah, you, you can. You called me a trollop just this week. <laughs> I, I texted it and I didn't say it out loud. So that's a different thing. <laughs> you also say that you've been influenced by contemporary authors like Daisy Goodwin and Julian Fellows. And of course me. Um, I made that part. <laughs> of course. I'm sure the reader can see this in your work. <laughs> Talk to us about how you combine all those different, very different kinds of inspirations. Sure. So, you know, I think sure. we, we both love 
classical literature. I, you know, I teach it sometimes. Um, but like Jane Austen, for example, uh, you know, we we love we love her. <laughs> we we've read Pride and Prejudice probably between us. You know, we're definitely getting close to about fifty times. You know, together, and and watched every version of it. Um, and you know, I, I love the classics, and and Danielle and I both were were voracious readers as kids. Um, but we also love a good, fun, contemporary story, um, something that's zippy and page, you know, it's a page turner. Um, so I think we tried to to write a book that maybe took inspiration from some of the classics in terms of theme and and some atmospherics, but also we wanted it to be, you know, one of the biggest compliments we've gotten is that it's a one night read or that, you know, someone will say, I read it in two days. And we're like, yes, because that's what we want. We want people to have fun while they read it. Yeah, absolutely. We want people to tear through this. Like, I mean, to us, we wrote, I, we wrote the book that we wanted to read, right? So the book that, that. we wanted to read was one in which there is true, there's wonderful history in it. You learn a lot about a period that you might not know a lot about. Um, there are uh, historic figures, but the main characters are fictional characters, right? So the historic, the history kind of brings you along the story arc, but really you you become attached to the characters, which is what you want. Yes. And it's much easier to write fictional characters than it is to write historic characters. And you know, and and really we just we just wanted the, the we wanted to play out a romance that gives you. You know, sorry, spoiler alert, a happy ending. And, you know, one in which, you know, you could just kind of smile and say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to pass this on to a friend to read because it really made me happy and made me smile. Um, so I think, awesome. you know, Anthony Trollope might not make you smile all day long, Mary Kay, right? because, it's, you know, it's very deep and very intense and uses a lot of big, big, big words that I frankly need to look up all the time. However, um, so if you if you combine like sort of like the, the, the 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 night the story that that sort of the rising and falling the traditional um, Victorian period elements with a faster zippier beach read you, you kind of get what we hope to write what we what we think awesome. we wrote <laughs> that is awesome um, so Carrie Soderman just sent in a comment for you Mary Kay Andrews and she said holla Trollop <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live it down. I'm never. Never, never. Okay, Jenny and Danielle, please don't leave. We have one more question for y'all. So stick around for a minute, but we have to talk about some of our favorite things, which is what our friends and fiction community is up to. Mary Kay? Yes. Um, so this is just a quick reminder for our writers about our writer's block podcast. We will always post links under announcements each time a new one drops. I love using that word. I know. That's why I give you that one. I know. So you can say that. So you can say that. I know. A new episode drops each Friday. On the last episode, Ron was joined by Genevieve Graham and Julia Kelly to talk about breathing life into history. And this week, Ron and Patty had a fascinating conversation with Rachel Hawkins about her new novel, Reckless Girls, which was released on January 4th and was a book of the month pick for January. She calls it um, the book murder, the island murder book. It's she's fun. I love her. She's she's hilarious. She's it's such a fun interview. You guys got to. 
go check it out. So don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're hitting those subscription buttons, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and our YouTube channel so you never miss anything. You can also find selected back episodes on Loco Plus, which is L-O-C-O Plus. It's a new streaming platform, which also includes loads of brand new content from other independent creators. Yeah, we're really happy to be there. It's a it's a great uh, great it's new really platform. Cool. Yeah, it is. Cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So if you're not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, you are missing out. The group, which is separate from us and is run by our friends Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, is now more than ten thousand strong. We say that every week, and it still blows my mind. I mean, it's I, I'm just amazed. They've done such a great job. So don't forget to join them this coming Monday, I believe, January twenty fourth. When our friend Wade Rouse, who writes as Viola Shipman, will be joining them for an in-depth chat about the secret of snow. Um, and he'll be taking your questions. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. And don't forget to join us for our next episode of Friends and Fiction next Wednesday, right here at 7, when we will welcome Amor Tolls. Tolls? Tolls. Tolls. <laughs> See, I, I, my mouth doesn't work so good. On February 2nd. <laughs> We're going to host Alifair Burke and Allison Pataki. And if you're ever wondering about our schedule and who's coming up, it's always on our Friends in Fiction website. And it's on the header graphic on our Facebook page. Oh, I'm going to ask another question. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I'll, uh, tell sorry. us on the subject of debuts, how did it feel to have your first book out together? And how did you navigate that happening during COVID? Wow. Well, um, I'll start. It felt amazing. Um, like I think I said earlier, it was 10 plus years of the making, so we couldn't believe it. Um, I think COVID might have helped in a way, um, obviously helped in the way that, as I understand from our friends who've written books in, in the old in the old days, you used to tour around the country and go to book fairs and book signings in different city bookstores in different cities. And so for me, it was actually really nice to just be doing a lot of you know, interviews like this and doing a lot of podcasts and kind of making it a little easier to sort of inch our way into this. Um, but it was really fun. We got a we got a fall where we had a lot of book parties, you know, here in, in the New York City area or in the New York, the tri-state area, which was great. Um, so it was a lot of fun. I don't know, Jenny, if you have anything to add. Again, I would say it's been great to do it with a friend because yeah. the number of times we sort of turn to each other and are like, wait, what are we doing? Ooh, how do we, how do we handle this? And I think if I were doing it on my own, the nerves might just kind of take over, but we get to bounce back and forth. I think sometimes we, um, calm each other down. We're, we're good like that in that, uh, we have the the time that I'm most nervous. Danielle is really calm and vice versa. So I think we've, we've balanced that well. Um, well, it's, Having your people in this crazy publishing world, yeah. there's just nothing better. I mean, we have each other and yeah. you can bounce stuff off or say you would not believe what just happened. Yeah. And somebody else does is be like, I don't get it. What? Yep. But your people know. So y'all have been such a pleasure to meet. And we're so excited for you. And thank you for coming on the show with us and talking about co-writing and debuts and High school packs. Y'all are amazing. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. It was Great a lot of fun. This you guys is are awesome. Great. 
Thank you. All right, y'all. Now make sure to stay for the after show with Stacey Willingham and a flicker in the dark. And don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We're live there every single week, just like we are on Facebook. And if subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Be sure to come back next week, same time, same place, as we welcome the astounding Amor Tolls of the Lincoln Highway. See you in a minute. Wow, what a fun night. So, uh, I feel so filled up. Like, yeah, me too. So great. Too. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was, um, you know, two completely different types of books, different types yeah. of guests, and such a great conversation. I, I think with I all three it. of them, too. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. Um, and Christy's back, which we're glad to see. Um, so we are so excited because we already had three guests, but the fun continues. We are thrilled to welcome another debut novelist, Stacy Willingham of A Flicker in the Dark, which stormed into the world this past week. It is on the New York Times list, which just came out tonight. And it has gotten an HBO deal for a TV series with Emma Stone. So as we were saying earlier, Stacey, I think, is probably having a pretty decent week. It's a good I think it's been a good week for her. Yeah. 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 It does not suck. <laughs> it does not suck. This hmm. debut has been called spellbinding, unforgettable, outrageous. But let me tell you a, just a little bit about Stacey before we have her join her on the after show. She lives in Charleston and she worked in marketing before deciding to write fiction full-time with a BA in journalism from UGA. Go ahead, MKA, you can bark. Go ahead. Okay. Go dogs. I didn't say you could say go dogs. All I gave permission for was the bark. That was it. You're not the boss of me. I know. I trust me. I know. I'm. I'm I offended. I'm signing off. I'm just my, my orange and blue thin skin can't take it. Stay for Stacy. Don't stay for All the right. barking. Stay All for right. And she has an MFA from SCAD, which I know I've had in my books. Mary Kay's had in her books, and that's yep. where my daughter went. So I can't wait to talk to her about this debut that came out on January 11th. And already has a library pick, a book of the month club pick, a TV, whatever. Keep it coming. Sean, could you bring Stacey on to join us on the after show? Hello. Welcome. How are you? Welcome. We are so excited to have you here. And just huge congratulations on the absolute flurry of good news. So I, I mean, are you just on cloud nine right now? Yes, I was going to say I'm I'm glad you brought it up because um I am I'm still a little bit in shock from the New York Times news <laughs> awesome. and I'm just kind of like an excited ball of right now. So I was like, they're probably going to think I'm crazy. I'm just going to be like chatting away, but I found out about an hour ago. Um and I'm I'm still so I still haven't quite processed it yet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, actually, you know, we're going to ask you in a second to tell us about the book. But actually, can you tell us quickly how you found out the news? Yeah, tell us. Yes, yes. So I was doing. Um, I was actually doing an Instagram live at five o'clock, um, from five to five thirty. And while I was doing it, I saw a text from my agent come through, and I was like, okay, this is either really good or really bad. Like, there's <laughs> there's really no other reason why you'd be texting me at this time. And so I, I kind of pushed it out of my head. And when the live was over, I, um, I uh, checked the text and it said, don't check social media. Call me as soon as you get this. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So pretty much like immediately after that, I checked my email and I have a uh, Google Hangout link um, from my editor. 
And I uh, jumped on there and, and my agent and my editor were both on there and told me together. And uh, there's a pretty oh. funny screenshot of us all just like beaming <laughs> together. That's awesome. I, awesome. Yeah, it was very sweet. Well, we're That's so awesome. happy that we get to chat with you tonight well, on the night. Oh, like, thank you. That I know. This is so exciting. Yes, all right. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, we're absolutely thrilled. So can you begin by telling us a little bit about the book? Yes. So A Flicker in the Dark, got it right here, um, is my debut. And it is a uh, psychological thriller. It tells the story of Chloe Davis, who um, has a troubling past. When she was 12 years old, she stumbled upon mm -hmm. a piece of evidence that ended up convicting her own father as a serial killer in their small Louisiana town. Mm -hmm. So um, told in past and present storylines, it really focuses on how she's been trying to move forward and kind of deal with the trauma of her childhood and um, move past it. But on the 20 year anniversary of her father's crimes, girls start to go missing again. And the past kind of just comes crashing around her. Um, so I can't really say much more than that without giving away any spoilers. But uh, yeah, in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, Stacy, you and I have to talk about, you know, the national there championship bulldogs. Oh uh, no, yeah, really I, I really appreciate <laughs> that working. <laughs> yeah. Damn good. We waited here. a long time for this. So. Yes, you did. We have we have so much to talk about. We could talk about our favorite places to go in Savannah. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. But I'm supposed to ask you about this <laughs> twisty storyline, <laughs> and um, you know. Uh, it's kind of mind blowing because a thriller with two different back and forth time periods, that's not really normally debut author stuff, Stacey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did you, how did you get this twisty storyline? Yeah. So I have always been very interested in psychology. Um, and I've always been very, I've always kind of been into, into, dark stories, I guess. I mean, I feel weird saying that, but, you know, for example, when I was growing up, my um, parents and I used to watch a lot of like Alfred Hitchcock and Columbo and the Twilight Zone together. Yeah. So yeah. from as early as I can remember, I've been kind of into spooky stuff. And um, the interest in psychology led to a pretty dark interest in serial killers and kind of trying to figure out like how they work and how they think. And um, when wanting to when wanting to write, thinking about writing a book about serial killers, I kind of had a light bulb moment where I realized if I have a hard time understanding them, I couldn't imagine how their families must feel. And, oh. um, yes. yeah, because they are so, you know, manipulative and they're so able to kind of hide yeah. in plain sight and trick people. And couldn't imagine how it would feel being having them as a loved one and feeling yeah. tricked by them in really like an incredibly intimate way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that was the, the inspiration behind it. And I really wanted to focus on telling the um, present day story of Chloe, but then also really bringing up her memories from their past. And um, her story is interesting to me because she didn't have, a terrible childhood. You know, she didn't grow up in like an abusive home. She had really wonderful memories with him. And so that's kind of where the past and present storylines come in because I wanted to make sure that I was showing that she was not, she was trying so hard to kind of move past her childhood, but she had not 
she hadn't forgotten about it. She was still dealing with that trauma 20 years down the road. Wow. Psychologically fascinating. It's just yep. fascinating. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, I loved, you know, it's written in first person and I just, I tried very hard to kind of get in her head the whole way. Actually, a lot of the memories she has with her father in the book are memories I have with my own dad because oh, no. I wanted to, yeah, I, I wanted to think like, okay, this was a, a great day I had with my dad when I was yeah. 10. How would it feel looking back on that with this kind of knowledge? Like, would yeah. it feel like a lie? Would it feel like a cover-up? Or, you know, I just, there were so many questions there that I was dying to to know the answer to. Oh, I love that. What a great starting point. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. And a nice little time capsule for you, too. I mean, yeah. I, I love incorporating, <laughs> like, those real family stories into things, yeah. you know? I mean, in a twisty way, but still. The real <laughs> right. I, I had to put in the acknowledgments. I was like, I understand the conclusions you may draw here about my parents, <laughs> but they're wonderful people, I swear. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I love that. Well, with an MFA from SCAD, I'm assuming that you always meant to write a novel. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but what has been your favorite part of this debut journey? Gosh, there's been a lot. Um, yeah, you know, writing a novel has always been my dream. For a long time, I was... Um, for a long time, I was thinking about being a journalist. And when I got my MFA at SCAD, they kind of had a... Um, it's kind of a three-part program. There was some creative slash fiction writing, some um, journalism, and then some classes just kind of about the publishing process in general, because I wanted to keep my options open. But uh, yeah, fiction writing was always the dream. Um, but I would say the part about all of this would be hearing people's reactions to the book. I have always been very private with my writing. I um, didn't tell anyone except for my husband and my family and like a handful of close friends that I was even trying to write a book. And, it, you know, I, I had been trying for about seven years by the time I got my, um, my agent and my book deal. So when I kind of announced the book deal to the world, it was like a huge shock to everyone in my life because they were like, wait, what? Like, I didn't even know you wanted to write a book. So That's keeping awesome. my writing so, so close to my heart for so long was, um, putting it out into the world was super honestly kind of anxiety inducing for me because I hadn't gotten a ton of feedback, but now that I, you know, it's out in the world I'm hearing from readers and, you know, for the most part, they just like have really wonderful things to say and they're, they're connecting with Chloe and they understand her. And, you know, some of them are even saying that they can kind of see a little bit of themselves in her. And that is just yeah. the most like, just that kind of feedback warms my heart and it never gets old. So that that's been the, my favorite part for sure. And I think it's so good for um, writers out there to, to know that this yeah. looks like so easy. Yep. Her first book, great idea. Yeah. Boom, New York Times and a movie. And yep. to know yeah. that there was, you know, you went to, to MFA school, you wrote it for seven years, you worked on it. I think it's so important to kind of tap back yep. to that, yes. even as, as you celebrate this you know, debut. Yes. Success. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm glad you bring that up. And I'm on the one hand, I know that my, this, the experience I've had so far has been incredibly lucky. And I've gotten lucky along the way many times. And I know it's not the normal experience, but, um, you are right. I mean, I, you know, I went to school for this. I got my MFA. Um, when I say it took seven years, a flicker in the dark, it's my debut, but it's actually my second novel attempt. I wrote a first novel 
couldn't mm-hmm. get an agent, tried for two years. You know, I mean, See, I, it's people need one to of those, hear that. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I got rejected by over a hundred agents at one point. And, um, and then the, you know, a flicker in the dark came to me and I wrote that and tried again. So I think that's, um, it's awesome. yeah, it's, there's definitely, there's a lot of rejection in this industry, but if you stick yes, with it, it is. definitely, it pays off. So perseverance, baby. there are a lot of agents crying yeah. tonight. Yes, there are. <laughs> yes, there are. They were all so nice, though. They, they politely rejected me. None of them were mean. So <laughs> they're still weeping in their in their wine tonight. Yeah. Trust me. So before we wind up, I just want to talk about really quickly serial killer research. I'm not sure I'd be able to sleep if I was doing serial killer research. So I want because I mean. I don't know. Look at you. You're so lovely and not serial killer like. <laughs> my pink office. Yeah. Everyone's always like, yeah, and your pink office. You're your writing pink. about serial killers. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I want to know a little bit about how the research affected you before we let you go pop some champagne and really celebrate with your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Um, you know, it's funny. Like I did do a lot of research. Absolutely. But, um, the research I did was more on like psychological aspect of serial killers and like the people associated with them. Cause I like having kind of a, an inherent interest in kind of dark, creepy stuff and true crime. I mean, I already knew a lot, <laughs> a lot of information about a lot of serial killers before I even went into writing this book. But um, I'm just one of those people where, always like why do you do this to yourself but i mean i'll read a scary book and i'll watch these documentaries and then i see a shadow in the corner at night and i'm like oh my god can you turn on the light and he's like why why like why do you do this but it's i guess i like the adrenaline of it i have no idea but yeah there's all kinds of stuff i read that that keeps me up at night but i keep going back for more i don't know why Because well, it made you write this incredible novel. That's why. Yeah, yes. exactly. And apparently other people like it too. I mean, people have a yeah. killer fascination. That does not make sense. So, yeah. Well, and you know, Karen Slaughter, mm-hmm. we noticed, blurbed it. And she's the queen mm-hmm. of the creepy stuff. So, yeah. she's yeah. the queen. Yes. And she gets mm-hmm. a lot darker than I do. So, uh, oh, she, I don't even know where she goes. I just, it's. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, actually, I saw her kind of a a little bit of a full circle moment for me as I went to a writer's conference in 2019 um, when I was still trying to get agented for the my first book attempt. And it was kind of like a last ditch effort to try and meet some agents and see if I could make it work. And um, Karen Slaughter was the keynote speaker and I really wanted to see her speak. And um, so, yeah, so when I was writing A Flicker in the Dark, I was in the audience of this conference just getting inspired by her. And then a year later, I got her blurb. Yeah, just just crazy how life just works. Oh, I love that story. Have you had a chance to share that with her, Stacey? Yes, when I got her blurb, um, I emailed her. I just kind of quickly said uh, to her agent, if you could pass that story along. So I think she's gotten it. I've never spoken to her in person, but... um, yeah, that's why her blurb, I mean, it, it's Karen Slaughter. It means so much. But to me, it, it even kind of means, means more than more. that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Stacy, we're all so happy for you. And just what, Thank what a you wonderful, so much. you know, and we're honestly, we're so honored to be a part of your special night tonight. This is yeah, a very exciting yeah. night for you. And we're yeah. happy you spent a little bit of it with us. Yeah. So um, we'll get yeah. to meet in person sometime soon. Yes. Oh, yeah. We'll let you know when we head to Charleston. We all need to. 
Yeah, I had a blast. We'll all be uh, in Savannah. Talk earlier. We'll all be in Savannah in February. Come on down. Come down and join <laughs> yeah, us. This whole family Book lives Festival. in Savannah. So, yeah, I'm join us. Either. Yeah, come see us. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody out there, remember Stacy's new book is A Flicker in the Dark. You can pick it up this week, wherever books are sold. Um, we are so excited for you. And um, you. to everyone out there, we encourage you to support the authors we had on tonight, particularly the debut authors, particularly Stacy, who obviously has made such a huge Thank splash you. in the literary scene. And we will see you next week, same time, same place, for the astounding Amor Tolls to talk about the Lincoln Highway. Thanks again, Stacy. Thanks. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.